Amen. Well, church, we have been studying the book of Genesis for uh, basically a year now, and we are at our penultimate sermon on Genesis. I know you wish we could go for another year, but uh, what? Yeah, that was supposed to be funny. Anyone? Hello? Maybe you do. Maybe you really do. Um, but today we're going to look at uh, really the final scene in Jacob's life. This entire scene takes place at the bed of Jacob, where he, uh, in his old age, is basically living out the rest of his days. He gathers his grandsons and then his sons around him and blesses them. So we'll uh, open our reading will be uh, chapter 48, and then in the sermon we'll look at chapter 49 as well. So now hear a reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 48. After these things, Joseph was told, your father is weakening. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has just come to you, Israel regained strength and sat up on his bed. Jacob said to Joseph, the sovereign God appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and will multiply you. I will make you into a group of nations, and I will give this land to your descendants as an everlasting possession. Now, as for your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they will be mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are. Any children that you father after them will be yours. They will be listed under the names of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I was returning from Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan. It happened along the way, some distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he asked, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are the sons God has given me in this place. His father said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of his age. He was not able to see well. So Joseph brought his sons near to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see you again, but now God has allowed me to see your children too. So Joseph moved them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. Joseph positioned them. He put Ephraim on his right hand across from Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left hand across from Israel's right hand. Then Joseph brought them closer to his father. Israel stretched out his right hand and placed it on Ephraim's head. Although he was the younger, crossing his hands, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head for Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has protected me from all harm, bless these boys. May my name be named in them and the names of my father Abraham and Isaac. May they grow into a multitude on earth. When Joseph saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, and it displeased him. So he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. 
Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a nation and he too will become great. In spite of this, his younger brother will be even greater and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you will Israel bless, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Then he, thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. As one who is above your brothers, I give to you the mountain slope, which I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Jacob called for his sons and said, gather together so I can tell you what will happen to you in future days. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment of silence, we open our ears, we open our hearts. Would you speak to us about your word? Father, that is our prayer, that you speak to us. Lord, we remember the four types of soil in the parable that Jesus told. And some of us have rocks in our soil, some of us have thorns and thistles, some are dry. Some are ready. But Lord, we're asking that you, that you turn the soil of our hearts in this moment, that you make all of us ready to receive the word, that it would spring up and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So for nearly a year, we've been studying the book of Genesis. Uh, for some of you, it, it, there's, there's a handful of you that you came like the first Sunday we were studying Genesis and you know, you've stuck with us all, all throughout. But one of the big things that we've been trying to teach in terms of how to read Genesis is that the best way to read Genesis is to read it alongside the Israelites who were hearing these stories first. I'm not talking about the Israelites in the story. Obviously, the stories are be written, being written about them. I'm talking about the group of Israelites 400 years later who had been slaves in Egypt, were delivered, and then are trying to figure out who are, they are and who this God is who delivered them and, and what he's doing with them and why he rescued them. And, and when we think about the questions that they would be asking, we start to ask the right questions of Genesis instead of all the questions that our culture tells us we should be asking about Genesis. So as we think about the big message of Genesis, and maybe as you've read through Genesis yourself, you might be tempted to kind of fly through chapters 48 and 49. After all, uh, it's kind of a, these blessings are a little strange. It seems like sort of a, an ancient custom, ancient ceremony. We're not really sure you know, what it means. The language is poetic. It's full of strange symbols you'll hear in just a minute. But, um, but we need to remember that group of people who are hearing the blessings, all right? There's, there's, or hearing the, the stories. They have, they have been hearing all of these stories and, and trying to figure out what is this teaching us? 
Who, what, what are these stories about Jacob or about Isaac or about Abraham? What do, they, what do they tell us about how we ought to live now as we wander through the wilderness on our way to the promised land? What do they tell us about God? Okay, so they've been hearing all of these stories. And now finally, after all of that, in chapters 48 and 49, they're going to hear a description of their family, specifically. Remember, this big group of people is divided up really into 13 groups. They're divided up into tribes according to the name of each of the sons, and they're the descendants of those tribes, Jacob's 12 sons. And then, of course, you have Joseph and, and what we just heard. His line gets split into two. He's really a double tribe. We often say half tribes, but they're just the same size, maybe even bigger than all of the other tribes eventually. So there's 13 groups, and we have to put ourselves in their shoes. So um, kind of a small Sunday today, so it's going to be hard to break you up into 12 groups. But So I'm just going to kind of point to areas of the room. But here's, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to tell you, you know, a name of one of the sons, and I want you to pretend that you are part of that family. And you're listening to the rest of what we say as part of that family. Okay, so so Reuben over here, just a couple of you get to be the tribe of Reuben. Okay, uh, then uh, we need the tribe of Simeon, maybe the other half of you over here. You all, you're, you're going to get broken up into um, Levi, you know, front, front row. How about, um, you know, Dan, uh, Donald, you can be Dan, you alone get to be Dan. All right. Uh, Asher uh, over here, Naphtali, and then, oh, we need a oh, front row, Tribe of Joseph. Congratulations, you guys. You win the, you win the award, um, Tribe of Joseph. Um, and finally, oh, let's see, uh, we need uh, Benjamin in the back. All right, so we have a lot over here. Uh, so, um, okay, You've heard the names. Can you remember who you, who you are? Okay. If you can't, just pick one of them and listen as if you're one of those. Look, what, what we're about to hear, these blessings, you know, we just heard the first couple to Ephraim and Manasseh, but what are they, what are they all about? What's the deal with them? These, these words become, for better or worse, the heritage of these tribes. They guided them. They, 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 made, they guided their sense of identity. These words describe their inheritance, what they can expect. And when it comes to heritage and inheritance, that's a complicated thing. All right? Everyone in the room is in some stage of thinking about heritage and inheritance. Some who are, you know, more ripened in life, you are thinking about what you're passing on to the next generations. I'm not just looking at you, Dave, I promise. All right, you're thinking about what you're passing on. Others, uh, others who, you know, the generation ahead of you is still living, you might be wondering what it is that that generation is going to pass on to you. You think that there's this complex, complex uh, sort of emotional thing around inheritance. Some families, 
There is inheritance passed from generation to generation. It's a stabilizing force in some ways. It also can be very destabilizing relationally, and I know some of you have lived through that as well. And others, uh, when all this talk of inheritance, you hear it and, and it, you just feel the pit in your stomach because, you know, the generation before you had nothing to pass on to you. Maybe you had to, maybe you had to cover their debts and, and, and take care of them financially uh, as they're in their last years. You know, our, that's, that's the inheritance. We think about that. You know, the word heritage is a little bit bigger than inheritance, right? You might think of your, um, your sort of ethnic descent, you know, where your ancestors came from before you ended up in the United States. You know, you might be thinking of, of those stories and, and, and the cultural traditions that have been handed on that make you who you are, whether, whether you know, you have really held on to, you know, my people are, are incredibly passionate or, or my people are, are incredibly diligent or, or my people love to party. I don't know. Um, you might be holding on to some sense of heritage. The people in your family were hard workers or artists or romantics. Then there's smaller heritage too. Inside of each family, we pass things on one to the next. We pass on, you know, a work ethic. We pass on addictions. We pass on ways of treating one another, ways of responding to stressful situations. This is all part of your heritage. It's all part of who you are. Did you know that, you know, th this is kind of an old stat. I, I heard it a couple years ago but I think it's still true, about 10,000 baby boomers retire every day right now. Did you know that? It's massive, you know, as the, you know it, and of course that, that'll fade out as, as the baby boomers all are in retirement. And the average baby boomer retiring has less than $10,000 saved for retirement. At the same time, this is, you know, this is being regarded as the, as the baby boomer generation is, uh, is dying and, that, and starting to pass on. This is regarded uh, as the single greatest transfer of wealth in human history. So do you see, there's, there's a great dichotomy there. You know, on, on the one hand, this is the wealthiest generation ever to live. On the other hand, there's not everybody has a slice of that pie. And so it's a really complicated thing, just like the blessings that Jacob is about to pass on to his sons. One way or the other, the status of your heritage and your inheritance affects the way you live and the way you think about your life today. So, remember your tribe? You're about to gather around the bed of Jacob and hear your inheritance. You're going to hear the reading of the will, so to speak. Here's what you already know. You already know, since you just heard this story about Ephraim and Manasseh, you already know that there are going to be unexpected twists. After all, Jacob crosses his arms and blesses the boys. It, if you go into the New Testament, you know, in the book of Hebrews, there's this great chapter, chapter 11, that talks about faith moving through the Bible story, you know, kind of faith kind of moving the story along. And there's all sorts of scenes that you might think would appear in Jacob's life. You know, you might think of, you know, him, his, uh, his 
you know, a value of the birthright and how he was willing to trick his brother to get it. Or, or maybe you think of the dream that he has and he sees Jacob's ladder. Maybe, maybe it'll tell the story of him wrestling with the angel of God uh, by the riverbank and, and demanding to be blessed. You know, those all seem like big faith moments, right? Nope, only one scene in Jacob's life is mentioned in Hebrews 11. Blessing Joseph's sons. I'm sorry, blessing Joseph's sons. That's the only scene. This unexpected twist when Jacob crosses his arms, blesses the younger as if he's the older and the older as if he's the younger. This is just how all of Genesis has gone, actually. Abraham was a younger son. Isaac was the second son. Jacob was the second son. And yet the blessings passed to them. So, Prepare yourself for the unexpected and listen to the rest of the blessings. Jacob says, assemble and listen, you sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Now, okay, I need to say something again. Uh, He's speaking to all of them. He's speaking in the light. They're all gathered there. The blessings before have happened in private. They've happened and they've been tricky. You know, you have Jacob and Esau and and Jacob stole the blessing and it always happened in secret behind closed doors. Now they're all together in the light receiving the blessing. In a sense, even though you as an individual tribe are going to hear something about yourself, you all receive all of the blessings because you're all part of the people of Israel. Now, on with the blessings. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, outstanding in dignity, outstanding in power. You are destructive like water and will not excel. For you got on your father's bed and then you defiled it. He got on my couch. (laughs) Which is bad. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their knives. Oh, my soul, do not come into their council. Do not be united to their assembly, my heart, for in their anger they have killed men, and for pleasure they have hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their fury, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down before you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches and lies like a lion, like a lioness. Who will rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs. The nations will obey him. Binding his foal to the vine and his colt to the choicest vine, he will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be red from wine and his teeth white from milk. In other words, good things are in store for Judah. Zebulun will live by the haven of the sea and become a haven for ships. His border will extend to Sidon. Issachar is a strong-boned donkey lying down between two saddlebags. Did I give anyone Issachar? I don't think I did. 
So no strong bone donkeys here. When, when he sees a good resting place and the pleasant land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and become a slave laborer. Dan will judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. May Dan be a snake beside the road, a viper by the path that bites the heels of the horse so that its rider falls backward. And then Jacob stops to pray. I wait for your deliverance, O Lord. Gad will be raided by marauding bands, but he will attack them at their heels. Asher's food will be rich, and he will provide delicacies to royalty. Naphtali is a free-running doe. He speaks delightful words. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow near a spring whose branches climb over the wall. The archers will attack him. They will shoot at him and oppose him, but his bow will remain steady and his hands will be skillful because of the hands of the powerful one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of the God of your father who will help you, because of the sovereign God who will bless you with blessings from the sky above, blessings from the deep that lies below, and blessings of the breasts in the womb. The blessings of your father are greater than the blessings of the eternal mountains or the desirable things of the age-old hills. They will be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of the prince of his brothers. Congratulations. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and in the evening dividing the plunder. There you go. There's the well. There's the inheritance. That's to guide you. What happened just now? Weren't these supposed to be blessings? As a matter of fact, the very next words in Genesis at the end of chapter 49 is, this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He gave each of them an appropriate blessing. Ouch, again. If you're Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, how are you feeling right now? I mean, how are you guys feeling? Wow. The truth is, you're not feeling blessed, <laughs> are you? You know, some of the blessings are unexpected. That's true. I want to highlight four other features of them to help us make sense of what we just heard. Some of the blessings are unpleasant. They're all unoriginal. I'll tell you what I mean. The centerpiece of the blessings is undeserved, and one of them is unbelievable. So we've got unexpected, but also unpleasant, unoriginal, undeserved, and unbelievable. Unpleasant. Okay, you heard the unpleasantness. In fact, the commentators are too nice. They, you know, they can't bring themselves to say, this isn't a blessing, it's a curse. So they say, it's an anti-blessing. Oh, okay. You know, uh, a condemnation. Better. Um, Reuben betrayed Jacob. He slept with one of his wives, apparently on the couch. Simeon and Levi shamed and endangered Jacob when they deceived and slaughtered a whole town, Shechem. Their actions have consequences, and they are affecting their lives, affecting their inheritance. It's coming back. Their, their chickens are coming home to roost. They're, they're, they're reaping what they sowed, all of those sayings. And here's the thing. We feel this in inheritance. We, you feel this if you were thinking, I don't know what I'm going to pass on to my children. We still 
are responsible for our actions. They impact our lives, our well-being, our relationships. As Reuben listens to these words, he is still reaping what he sowed. Jacob's final words to him are not tender. This isn't a hallmark Hollywood moment where he, you know, he hugs and reconciles with each of his sons. This was not a shaming for the tribe of Reuben and Simeon, but rather a lesson for all of them. You are responsible for your choices. You have to own them. As Paul would say many generations later, the law brings death. And that's surely what these words felt like. There's another way the blessings in general are unpleasant. Jacob promises even in his most elated best blessings to Judah and to Joseph, he promises all throughout the blessings that his sons and their families would be under attack for all of their existence. Did you hear how many times there's attackers and, and towns and, and having to chase them and trip their heels and, and, and have the bow and the shield and all of that? They will be attacked again and again. This was, is, and for a time shall be the heritage of the people of God. It's your heritage. Jesus is practically quoting Jacob whenever he promised his followers that we would be persecuted, mocked, condemned executed. Somehow, God's going to use that to show his glory to the world. Okay, so they're unpleasant. What else? Unoriginal. Okay, now I need to explain this. When I say unoriginal, I'm not saying Jacob, you know, stole this from a popular melody. You know, I'm not saying Jacob is being uncreative here. I want to highlight the unity of the message throughout Genesis. There, were, there was a lot of symbolism in, that, in those blessings, right? How many of you are animals, right? How many of you are plants? Well, plants and animals, what do those make you think of? The garden, right? Here, here they are. All of the tribes are together. All of the sons are together. And, and you know, one's a, a doe, you know, a, a deer, a female deer. <laughs> you know what? One's a, a donkey, one's a lion, Benjamin's a wolf. Oh, and Dan's a snake. And God will strike the heel of his attackers. What's going on here? It's the Garden of Eden. That's why I call it unoriginal. He's going back to the original. The fruit-bearing trees are there. The abundant plants that burst out over the walls are there. All sorts of animals, both predator and prey, are there in peace. And there's also a snake among them. The blessings are telling these sons who are now settling into Egypt that they are still the stewards of God's creation. That's what it's telling them. You are still my representatives, God is saying. You are still the image of God. You still show the world what, I, what I'm like. I've chosen you and rescued you and even brought you to Egypt for a time to show the world what I am like. And followers of Jesus, you carry the same heritage. You carry the same heritage. You're still stewards of the garden. As Paul warns you, 
you are also capable of being a wolf or a snake. In fact, when Paul is praying a blessing over a group of elders, he says, ravenous wolves will come amongst you. In fact, they are even from you, elders. So be on your guard for the sake of the world. The worst damage done to the church throughout history is self-inflicted. We have, the, we have the dangerous animals amongst us, sometimes even on stage. So they're unoriginal. They're also undeserved. I've read and reread and reread these blessings this week. You guys, um, for a while, it was like, what? <laughs> Where? What's the point? What is this? What's happening here? It's, it's really clear to me that Jacob's intention when he blessed his sons was to explicitly and dramatically bless one of them above the others. Of course, I'm talking about Joseph. That's the longest blessing. That's the only one where he uses the word blessing. He wants to single Joseph out from all the rest. You know, he, he's still setting Joseph apart. He's still, you know, in words, giving him the fancy coat. And yet Joseph's blessing, almost in spite of Jacob's intentions or what I think his intentions might be, is not the centerpiece of these blessings. For the centerpiece of these blessings, we have to look to Judah and the blessing to Judah. You know, Judah, the, guys who's, the guy whose sons were so wicked that God just killed them. <laughs> no, like, no trial, no jury, just killed them. The guy who sabotaged Tamar's life so badly that she was forced to pretend to be a prostitute whom he visited and then entrap him. The guy who later also offered himself as a sacrifice to save his brother, Benjamin. The book of Chronicles tells us what we already know. Judah is the strongest and bravest. He's the leader of his brothers. His just Desserts may have been closer to Reuben's, though, than they were to what he hears. Judah's destiny becomes the hope of all of Israel. It's referenced by prophets all throughout the Old Testament. It's referenced by Jesus. Jesus pulls symbolism from the blessing given to Judah. When Jesus does stuff with wine and grapes, he's thinking back to the blessing to Judah. The promises given to Judah are the, the hope of the Messiah that the people would hold on to. This is the most obvious promise of a Messiah in all of Genesis. One will come in your line, Judah, and the nations will serve him. We still find our hope, security, identity in the line of Judah, the lion of Judah. He has so much wine to share that we donkeys, though we are, are tethered to his vine. Jacob is describing Judah's power and wealth when he says Judah will wash his garments in wine. He's like saying there will be so much that it'll just be everywhere. That's how blessed he would be. Little did Jacob know that Judah's distant, distant descendant would have garments soaked red with his own blood. In his greatest act of rescue, his clothes would be washed. He will give the undeserved inheritance to us in an unexpected way. 
we get to share in it. Look, I, I, I dug and dug in scripture this week to figure out what the later effects of these blessings were. Like, did, did, did Reuben and his line get ruined forever? You know, Reuben gets, gets a tough blessing, doesn't he? I mean, you're like water. That's another Eden, Garden of Eden. You're the, you're the waters of chaos. You're messing everything up. You know, I mean, there's no good thing said to Reuben. You're really strong, so strong you're going to destroy everything. The tribe of Reuben is fine for the rest of the story. I mean, they have the highs and lows of the people of Israel, but they're never set aside in a worse way. Well, I, I dug and dug to figure out what was, you know, did this really set the different tribes apart? Did this put them at odds with each other? And it didn't. I couldn't find it. Why? Because all of them put their hope in the blessing given to Judah. All of them were pacing after the leadership of Judah. Judah's willingness to sacrifice saved not just Benjamin's life, but Reuben and Simeon's too, and Naphtali's and Dan's. The true and greater Judah sits at the table with his betrayers and offers them his body and blood, and we will partake in just a few minutes. It's his courage, his sacrifice, his bravery of the true and greater Judah that guarantees our inheritance still. We still await the day when the kings of the earth will come streaming into his royal city, bringing the best things from their land as a gift to him. That is our hope and our joy. Whether you are, you know, a family that is passing along a large inheritance from one generation to the next, or you're just trying to make it by from day to day, you have the same hope, the same great inheritance promised to the line of Judah. And this is all over for the early believers, all over their words. You know, it's all over the New Testament, but just one example, Paul tells the Galatians, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. You receive what Judah was promised. And that's a great hope. It carries us far. It's waiting for us. It makes us not need to fear the highs and lows of provisions in this life. But the blessings of Jacob don't just talk about the future. They highlight a present reality for the brothers that is worthy of the end of this sermon. You see, these blessings are not just unexpected, unpleasant, unoriginal, and undeserved. They are, in the colloquial sense, unbelievable. And I mean, like, wow, unbelievable. We have to finish with Joseph. What Jacob promises to Joseph seems beyond his power to give. Not just all of the blessings of Jacob's whole line and everything he can think of. He's saying, these blessings will last longer than the mountains and the hills. What? Like, Joseph will be mighty in battle. His brothers will serve him. It's over the top, what it says. And undoubtedly, Jacob intends for the birthright to pass to Joseph. This is the blessing proper. Why not? He's not just the favorite anymore. He's the guy who rescued all of them. Of course, they're, li they're safe. They're, in the, they're living off the fat of the land in Egypt for a time because of Joseph. In a sense, this is the only blessing that is true immediately. All the rest of them, they'll see how it plays out. It's happening right now 
through Joseph. And I want you to consider this. Our inheritance through Christ is not merely something that is waiting for us, pie in the sky, by and by. Friends, he is reigning on the throne of the universe right now. He has defeated death. The tomb is empty. At at his word, the oceans quake and the mountains tremble. Our king is reigning now. The scepter is in his hands now, and you've been adopted into his family. It's, yes, there's something coming. We are awaiting a day, but it's also already here. The blessing of Joseph was shared with all of the brothers, and the blessings of King Jesus is offered to all of you. We got to practice that this morning with Rachel. That's the blessing of King Jesus. That's our inheritance, restored relationships. That's what we get to do. And the riches are just like that, and they're manifold. Christians, you have it because Jesus earned it. He went down deep into death and unlocked the doors. The words spoken over Joseph, they were well-deserved. They were well-deserved. None of the brothers could argue with it. And, and the Israelites hearing it later, none of them would say, not fair. They know the story of Joseph. Thank you, Joseph, tribe of Joseph. Good job. They know the story. How much more is Jesus worthy of our praise? We hear the accolades given to him and we say, yes, we join in the angel's song. And so, as we come to the table, we'll do just that. Because this is the guarantee of our inheritance. The will has been signed and notarized right here. So friends, on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And every time we eat this bread or drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the feast that reminds us of the feast to come. Here's your inheritance at the table. Lord, thank you that you have called us together in the one body of Christ, to celebrate, to receive the blessings that we don't deserve. (laughs) Lord, to, to face, to see the reality of what we do deserve and then find that we come to your table empty handed, that you have brought us all together into the tribe of Judah, under the lion of Judah, And that we can represent you from there to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.